Welcome to the Tub Talk Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Place, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts, Ben Schmidt and Colin Hansel. In today's episode, we're going to recap the divisional round of NFL football and then go straight into our segment of This Week in Sports. Got a great episode for you. Stay tuned. All right, so first off, let's review our uh, our bets from last weekend. Uh, Colin, you went three and four. Uh, you had the Bills to cover that one, the Browns to cover that one, and the under in the Saints-Bucks game. Ben, you also went three and four. Your wins were Buffalo to cover, Tampa Bay to cover, and the under in the Saints-Bucks games. I went five and two. Uh, lead dog this week, I had Packers, Bills, Browns and Bucks to all cover, and then I also had the under in the uh, Bills Ravens game. Um, all right, we'll just go right into the divisional round. We'll go in order of the games and how they happen. So we'll go Rams, Packers, Packers with the win. What do we think? I mean, this was really a great display of offense in terms of Green Bay side because. One, we know historically how teams on a bye, a lot of times will come out kind of slow, a little bit rusty because they haven't played in two, sometimes even three weeks if they rest their starters in week 17. But against the number one defense in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers just made it look easy. And that's the scary thing is that off a bye against a great defense, it just seemed like, like, like light work for them. And even though the score was one possession a couple times close a little bit, it just kind of felt like, Green Bay just had control of the game the whole time. I think it was a really good coaching job by McVay to keep it somewhat close, considering really half of Aaron Donald, he, he you could tell he was hurt, no Cooper Cup, stuff like that. So good on McVay and the Rams to keep that close. I love some of the stuff they did with Cam Akers and the Wildcat. But really just all the motion and, and all the stuff that Matt LaFleur does with that Packers offense to get receivers open, get Devontae Adams off of Jalen Ramsey, stuff like that is really, really just a masterpiece. And um, I really like Green Bay to keep it rolling this week. So I was impressed. I really was. Yeah, Matt LaFleur called a really nice game, uh, a 14-point win. Putting up 32 on this defense is something I'm pretty sure only one team has done all season. Um, they had – nearly 500 yards, which is insane. They led pretty much every single category in the box score. They had the ball for two thirds of the game. Um, one thing I did not expect coming into the game was um, I expected the Rams to win the line of scrimmage. That did not happen. Um, the Packers were able to do as they pleased. Their offensive line played outstanding. Um, they were, I mean, they stood in there with a real physical defense. Like you said, Aaron Donald was a little banged up, but um it's still the best defense in football all season long. And the Packers dismantled them. Rodgers picked them apart. Aaron Jones uh, broke off uh, various big runs. He had like a 60-yard run. Um, and they found a way to get Devontae Adams going, even facing Jalen Ramsey. They got him a touchdown, about nine catches, uh, around 70-ish yards. And they found a way to get other guys involved, too. Alan Lazard was huge. Uh, Tanyan had a couple big grabs. And their defense, I mean, I didn't expect the Rams to put up too many points. So, But the Packers' defense hung in there. Goff had a nice game. Um, but it was really more of a bend-don't-break uh, deal with their defense. Um, they held them to under 300 yards, which is nice. And... Only a pair of touchdowns. So shout out to the Packers defense and their offense did about what I expected. So big win for Green Bay. Yeah, we know we know the Packers are that elite team. They're they're the team to beat in the NFC, hands down. Um this was a good game. I think this was a game where we now see Matt LaFleur become that elite head coach status. Um I think his career record is twenty eight seven. And back-to-back NFC Championship game. So, I mean, he's he's up there in that conversation of the lead uh, head coaches. Aaron Rodgers doing MVP things. Um, this was the first game. I mean, Jalen Ramsey didn't lock down the number one receiver, so that proves Devontae Adams is legit. So, I think that's – I think it was just all-around great performance by the Packers. Looking at the Rams, though, 
they're in a they're in a tough situation. I know they're I think top five in uh cap uh salary cap for next season, so they got to shed some cap, and then you got to also add in the fact that Whitworth is probably going to retire, and um how long how much longer are you going to trust this offense at Goff's hand? I know Goff was pretty good, but you I think you need a better quarterback if you're going to contend for a Super Bowl. But the Rams are in heavy cap problems, and they haven't had a first-round pick. Their last first-round pick was Jared Goff. So, I mean, the Rams the Rams are in a bit of a situation, and especially in that tough division, this could, this could have been one of their last shots to uh, make a Super Bowl with this core. Um, I was going to say one thing with their offense, though, is they have found their running back finally after pretty quickly after Todd Gurley uh, was traded. They did a good job in replacing him with Cam Akers, especially in the second half of the season. And you're right. I mean, it's tough situation with Jared Goff. He has a big contract with still a few more years left on it. And they're kind of locked into that right now. I'm not sure if anyone would want to necessarily trade for him. So it's like kind of a tough situation. I think McVay can work with him. I mean, they went to a Super Bowl together, so I think they can figure this out. Um, Jared Goff, although, you know, he, he hurt his thumb, he hasn't been great all season long. And I think losing Brandon Cooks over the past year or so has hurt them, um, losing a fast receiver like that. Don't get me wrong, Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods are very good receivers, but um, I think they need a little more speed. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. They're not great on cap, but they can move a couple pieces. They can move a couple pieces on defense and still have a top 10 defense. So I don't think they're in that bad of a spot. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I think they'll be all right. And also, I just wanted to bring up the other side, looking at Green Bay for next week, makes them even scarier, is under Matt LaFleur in the last two years, they obviously 16 home games they have lost three times. So they are a dominant home team. They rarely lose at home. And especially with the weather playing in their favor, potentially a snow weather game next week, it, it just makes them even more of a bet to advance to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's crazy. And, I mean, having a Breeze-Rogers matchup in the playoffs for the first time is going to be very fun. Um, any other thoughts on this game? No, I, I just – I think Green Bay right now looks like the best team in football. Yeah. I think right. that's – it's pretty clear. All right, we'll get, the, we'll get into the we'll get into the second game on Saturday, Ravens at the Bills. Um, Bills win at 17-3. to three. Um, Both quarterbacks didn't play too good. Justin Tucker imitated Cody Parkey for a quarter there. And, yeah, just what are our, what are our overall thoughts on this? It was kind of weird to me how the Bills ran the offense in the first half. I mean, I know they didn't have a rushing attempt in the first quarter. I know they're not a run-heavy team to begin with, but I would have liked to see more balance. That being said, um, they played really good offense in the first game and played really good defense against Baltimore. So if they could put that together, I think that's what they're going to have to do to beat Kansas City. I think – Josh Allen sort of finding it a little bit more in the second half. He's going to need that for all four quarters against Kansas City. But the Bills' defense really held down Lamar Jackson. They were able to generate some pressure, not really a whole lot of the big runs. Obviously, the pick six was incredible. That was a game changer right there. And overall, just a really good – the fact that they were able to win like that shows that this this team, although they're not a complete team, they can beat you in multiple different ways, and that's a really, really good sign. And also just knowing, like, hey, if they could get the offense and the defense, this team for sure could win the Super Bowl. I think it's clear that they're one of the four best teams in football. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, it wasn't a pretty win, but obviously it also was a super windy day as well. So it's not going to be easiest to throw the football all day long. I, I don't want to overreact to this game um, on either team's offensive performance too much because uh, it was not – great weather conditions. We know how windy it was. We saw the goalpost shaking. Um, and it's, I mean, Justin Tucker missed two field goals. I don't know if he's ever done that in his career, at least in, not in the past 
five, six years he hasn't. It said it, it showed a set on the game that he, that, that was the first time he missed two field goals in one game inside of 50 yards. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. He's been the best kicker in football for years now. And in a playoff game, missing two kicks like that. I mean, Tyler Bass uh, missed one too. So missed I two. think that was also, he missed two. Yeah. And, and they both, both won for I three. Or, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're back. I'm pretty sure Bass's kicks were both inside 50 as well. So um, it wasn't ideal conditions for kickers or quarterbacks. Um, we saw multiple – we saw Allen and Jackson. We know how good they both are. Um, both missed a lot of throws. Um, even Josh Allen, we're calling him an elite thrower of the football. He missed a couple deep throws. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the better team won. Uh, they were still able to get Diggs heavily involved in the offense, despite um, the wind and, you know, the Ravens' good secondary, Marlon Humphrey. But the Ravens' defense overall did a nice job um, keeping them in that game. They only allowed 10 offensive points. And, uh, yeah, obviously we know the big turning point was the pick six when they got down there and the Bills made a big play. And that's really what the game came down to. And then, obviously uh, – Lamar left the game injured, but at that point, it would have been pretty tough to come back even if he was in the game. So, yeah, I think I think the better team won, but I am a little hesitant um, to pick the Bills moving forward because they have looked a little shaky over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, so the thing with the Bills is that their defense has played uh, really well in the second half of the season. I think it was pretty much after that Seattle game where – during that Seattle game, Russell Wilson was probably still the favorite to win the MVP, and we were able to, for him to force um, uh, force the ball over four times, I think, three picks and a fumble. Um, so I think that was kind of the turning point for our defense. They played really good. Um, but I think with Lamar, the thing with him is, is we know he's almost a run-first kind of guy. And the Bills, shout out to Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. They schemed their defense very well to stop Lamar from running the ball and having to force him to throw the ball. And we know he has to struggle throwing the ball and put that on top of the uh, the bad weather. I think this was a perfect – you couldn't have asked for a better condition for the Bills. And, yeah, they got the win. Big game in uh, KC – it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I hope Mahomes plays. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, I've been saying all year to be the best, you got to beat the best. So can't wait for that game. Is there any chance we see you at that AFC championship? Uh, still to be determined. Okay. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. You're willing to throw the, you're willing to throw the bucks for it? Just do it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We will see. I can only imagine how expensive that's going to be. It's well, let's look it up right now. But it's any up other? There. I looked a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on this game? I like Colin. Your point about uh, I know I brought up the weather. You said not to react too much to either team's offenses. Um, I think that's a really a great way to look at it because it's just when it's so windy like that, you really got to kind of whip the ball through the wind. And I think that is part of the explanation for why we didn't see as many big plays. I think a lot of us felt like this this game was probably going to hit the over going in, which it obviously didn't. So um, I don't think this game is, is the best representation of both teams. Both teams are going to be competitors and uh, challengers for the AFC Championship for years to come. So this will likely be the first of many matchups between these two quarterbacks who I know um, – kind of friends because they're both taken in the 2018 draft but either way um let's hope that this matchup there's many more of yeah and I, I don't want to overreact to also to you know the Baltimore Ravens this is two years in a row now that they've lost in the um divisional round um I still think they have a very bright future ahead um there's definitely work that needs to be done on both sides of the ball mainly I think if they were to get um, a legit wide receiver one that would go a long ways towards um, 
you know, going back into elite territory. But, you know, I mean, they still have a good defense intact. Um, they have Lamar Jackson. And uh, they just released Mark Ingram. So J.K. Dobbins is, you know, that guy going forward. Um, but, you know, I think, I think they um, – if they address those key positions this offseason, I can see them winning the division next year and uh, making a serious run of the Super Bowl. Yeah, the thing with Lamar is that I saw a stat where in this four playoff game, obviously he's three and one. Um, in those four playoff games, though, they averaged 13 points a game. Not very good. Um, I mean, in the playoffs, and especially nowadays in the NFL, where we're used to, we've used to been saying, uh, defense wins championships games. That's not the case anymore. You need explosive offenses. You need explosive plays. And I think out of the four teams we have less, I think these are probably the four most explosive offenses. So I think in the uh, conference championship, you got the four best teams for, I mean, today's age, today and age is NFL. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, they need a number one receiver. Um it's going to be interesting to see uh, where uh, Greg Roman goes if he gets hired anywhere. There's a couple coaches, coaching vacancies still open. Um, I mean, both coordinators for the Bills are rumored to go somewhere. Same with the Chiefs, same with the Ravens. So it's going to be interesting to see where all those guys go, but we'll we'll talk about that later in the show. Real quick, while we're on, I know you said we'll talk about that later. Did you guys see a potential head coaching candidate, um, Peter Schrager said this today, a potential head coaching candidate for Philly, one of the two vacancies left? is Gerard Mayo, who is only 34 oh, wow. years old, former linebacker. But, yeah, the two ones left are obviously Houston, the whole debacle there in Philly. So while you're talking about the coach, I just want to bring it up because Schrager said that today that uh, Gerard, Mayo, Gerard Mayo has a chance to be the next Philly head coach. So Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I did want to make one point. I, uh, when Donovan mentioned that the Ravens are averaging 13 points a game in Lamar's playoff games, um, I do want to point out, though, that I feel like in sports, in all sports now, uh, when these young players succeed at such an early age, we immediately put such high expectations on them, you know, even though they aren't too experienced in, like, the playoffs or whatnot. Uh, an NBA example is, like, Giannis. We put such high expectations for him, and we put such high expectations for Lamar Jackson. He's only 23 years old, I believe. And this is only his second postseason. He's won a playoff game. So I don't think he deserves – I don't think he's getting too much hate, but I don't think he would really deserves any hate that he might be getting or any disrespect because, of you know, he still has so much time to improve and uh, continue to gain experience through the playoffs over these years. Yeah, we saw – I mean, going back to Greg Roman, he was the offensive coordinator for the Niners when they made it to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. And the thing with Kaepernick, I mean, there's obviously the whole political thing, but towards the end of his career, he started to struggle. And that was because in that offense that Greg Roman has, uh, he started to struggle because defenses tried to figure it out. And it's just hope the same doesn't happen with Lamar. Um, but yeah, they, they desperately need a threat whether they're going to go out and draft a couple, sign a guys, or both. Uh, they need a weapon just besides Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. All right, let's get into the Sunday games. Uh, Chiefs-Browns. Uh, Chiefs pulled the win out. It was the uh, Henny God, the Henny game. Um, I mean, Baker played great. Um, and then the obvious controversial uh, fumble lighting the back fumble out of the back of the end zone call so you know Colin let's let's get your opinion on that call let's start with the call what's your opinion on the fumble out of the end zone call I've never been a big fan of it um I don't think many people like the rule I don't okay see like I don't know if they were to change the rule how would they do it well, what would they change it to if you were to fumble out of the end zone what's like a fair I'm so doing I would say something along the lines of wherever you fumble it from, it's like a 15-yard penalty or maybe something like that. I don't know because the thing for me about that is that, like, no Kansas City player even touched it. So that makes even more like how yeah. should they deserve the ball. So maybe something along the lines with where if um, 
a player gets a hand on it, that changes. I don't know, but back to back to what your point. No, yeah, I yeah, I think if they can change it in some way, I think they should, um, because I don't think anybody really likes that rule except for maybe defenses. I don't think that rule is the most fair. But you know, it's it is what it is. He he shouldn't he shouldn't have fumbled the ball. He should have hang, hung onto the ball. Um, him not doing so really cost them. Maybe cost them the game after we saw what happened to Mahomes. Um, it's unfortunate to see Mahomes like that. But you know, the Chiefs were in a good position when he exited the game. They were in a good enough spot, had a good enough lead, um, and they were able to trust their defense to get a stop down the stretch. And yeah, I mean, the better team won. I think the Chiefs are better on both sides of the ball. Uh, Baker played a good game though. He had that one interception that ended up resulting in zero points for the Chiefs. But I think I'm impressed by what Baker Mayfield has done, not only this season, but the postseason as well. Um, next, I mean, this is a great start for the Cleveland Browns. They're gonna get Odell probably back next season. Uh, and this was their first year under Stefanski and they accomplished all that they did. So hats off to the Cleveland Browns. They have a very bright future. This is a perfect step in the right direction. The season was, and uh, yeah, I mean, the chiefs, I, I'm expecting Pat Mahomes to be ready for next week. Uh, Andy Reed was saying good stuff, positive news. So yeah, hopefully he plays and I'm looking forward to their matchup against Buffalo next weekend. I will say the way this game started, I thought this was going to be such an easy runaway Kansas City win because their offense, like I talked about earlier, how teams on buys and people who rest starters usually come out rusty. And that's what Kansas City did last year. We saw them go down 24 nothing to Houston. But when they came out on offense in this game, it was just wide open, wide open schemes everywhere. And it was it was literally a perfect offense. They, they did not look like they were going to be stopped all day. I don't even – I believe outside of the missed field goal by Butker that they were able to score the, on all the drives that Mahomes was in the game. So I think if Mahomes doesn't go out in the third quarter, this could have been an even wider margin than it was because I don't think Mahomes makes that interception that Chad Henney did, or I think they, they score a lot more than, than what they did in that final quarter and a half. Either way, though, the play by Chad Henney on the final two real plays of the game, the scramble on third and 15, and then the play call on fourth and inches really just shows one, how smart Andy Reid is and two, how well this entire scheme as a whole for Kansas city is because they were so focused. Cleveland was so focused on covering up all the different weapons that Kansas city has that Chad Henney, who I know is not the fastest quarterback in the NFL for a fact, was able to get out and scramble for 14 yards on a third and 15. Like that just shouldn't happen. But Kansas City has so many weapons you have to worry about where they had to, to, to take care of all those. And that's what led to that that big run on third and 15. And then the play on fourth and inches is literally just a perfect play. The the, the body language to make it look like you're just going to try and get him to jump off sides. And then the fastest guy in the NFL just running a quick little out route while Henny rolls right is really just all of it came together in a perfect way. And it's such like an easy, easy play to think of, but the way they designed it made it so complicated that it wasn't expected, if that makes sense. Like if they just ran that play from under center, I think Cleveland has a better chance of stopping it, but they were in shotgun. It was fourth and inches. You're like, they're not going to snap it out of shotgun on fourth and inches. It was so unexpected, which is that why it worked. And just further prove that Andy Reid is a genius. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Andy Reid, three straight, conference championship games he's hosting uh last person to do that was Andy Reid with the Eagles from 02 to 04 so I mean Andy Reid is I mentioned with with Floor earlier he is I mean probably one or two in elite head coaches um always a fun guy to watch on the sidelines the balls you have to the balls the pure balls you have to have to have your backup quarterback roll out a fourth and one from like midfield up five when I mean Brown's offense was rolling the second half they looked pretty good um but just a hell of a play I love backup quarterbacks 
Um, and that pick Chad Henney threw was the uh, whole, I was laughing my ass off when I saw that because that was the perfect backup quarterback. Basically said, "Fuck it, go deep," and he heaved it. Um, obviously went for the pick. I thought that was very funny, but I mean the Brown the Browns did the best they could, honestly. Um, Baker had a turnover that was costly. Um, but that was two turnovers in like the last ten games for Baker. So you have to be very happy with his performance at the end of the season. And then uh obviously the fumble to the back of the end zone, which that should have been called targeting. I think we can all agree on that. That should have been targeting. So that was kind of bullshit for Browns fans. But uh yeah, just a hell of a game. Uh, they sh- they couldn't get Kareem Hunt the ball in the first half. He had no touches in the first half, so that also cost them a lot. But no, this was just a very good game. And then, as Ben mentioned, um, seeing Mahomes come off uh, a long rest, he hadn't played in 20 days at that point, and he came off firing on all cylinders. So I think this was a very good showing for the Chiefs. Um, as a Bills fan, I am a little nervous. Um, that now they're starting to figure it out. Now they can flip the switch. But I know later in the week we'll preview that game and I will convince myself and hopefully other people that the Bills will win. Well, uh, I think one thing I noticed, especially in the first half when the Chiefs were firing on all cylinders, is the Browns really had a tough – they really had a tough time generating pressure. You can't really blitz – um, the Chiefs, especially in the red zone or anywhere within 40 yards of the end zone, really. Um, but you still have to find a way to generate pressure. They had one sack. It was Miles Garrett, I believe, in the second half. Um, but the Bills are going to have to find a way to generate pressure. They're going to have to find a way to get to Mahomes, make him a little uncomfortable, make him move out of the pocket. And, uh, yeah, also, one thing I want to point out, three missed kicks in that game. I'm sorry, two missed kicks, neither by Cody Parkey. I was wrong. I don't think about any him. I don't think any of us would have thought that um it would have been Harrison Butker, but I mean, you gotta hope that he's not a liability next week. So we'll see. I mean, Bills have been getting through with Tyler Bass missing two field goals last week. So maybe maybe they'll just both of them miss like four field goals combined in the AFC championship. Harrison Butker is like automatic from 50 plus but he'll miss an occasional 30 yarder yep yeah bucker hasn't been as dominant as uh people thought he would be this year and including myself because i drafted him pretty early in fantasy um all right let's go into the uh fourth game uh buck saints the old man showdown the uh the history the old or the history channel matchup as uh, Brady alluded to earlier. But, uh, yeah, so Breeze, it was reported right before uh, the game started that this was his final game, and he went out and had a terrible performance. While uh, Brady played well, played pretty good, uh, not great, but uh, it was mostly the defense for the Bu- or, yeah for the Bucks that really showed out and made a statement uh, for in this game. This was oh, – you go. No, you go, you go. This for Tampa Bay was just classic Tom Brady because Mike Evans shut down by Lattimore like usual. I know he had the touchdown, but it was from like four yards out. Antonio Brown was hurt. Chris Godwin was not very good either. And then, according to Joe Buck, playoff Lenny really stepped up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Shout out, Big Cat. But um, playoff Lenny was huge for them out of the backfield – and, I mean, just for Tom Brady to do that, I know he wasn't great, but just how he won that game with a lot being against him on the road, a good Saints defense, is just typical Tom Brady. Like, I just came to expect it out of him. He's 43 years old, and he's on to his 14th conference championship, which is so wild to think about. And although it wasn't the prettiest game to watch on TV, it was still a good game. It was a one-possession game for almost most of it until uh, Tampa Bay pulled away at the very end, so – it's really, it's really sad that Drew Brees um, potentially going out like this. And I think we all agree that he should retire. I mean, he can't push the ball down the field. It's just not there anymore. And New Orleans could potentially be going through a, at least a mini rebuild with all the cap space that they don't have. 
So um, I don't really see a point in him sticking around for another year just to play for a team that's likely going to lose a lot of pieces. So I think we all knew when he walked off and kind of turned around as he walked into the tunnel, like he was done. And then after the, on the field with Brady after the game and his kids, like I, I, I would be shocked if he comes back for another year, which he is going to go down as Hall of Famer, one of the best QBs of all time. I feel like it'd just be painful for him to attempt to come back for another year. And it'd just be like watching Peyton in his final year, but even worse, because we all know how Peyton really can do a whole lot in his final year either. So I hope Drew Brees retires. Sad that he couldn't go out with a win, but um, excellent, excellent career. Yeah, you're right. It'd be painful to see him come back for both of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, you're right. I mean, the Saints, we don't know what their roster is going to look like next year, being so much over the cap. And obviously his play has declined um, a lot. We He did not play well against, you know, a Bucks defense that has been a little inconsistent this year, has shown flashes of greatness, but, you know, still – they have some younger pieces, especially in the secondary, a little inconsistency. Um, and the defense won them that game. They put uh, Brady in that offense in so many great positions with their four turnovers, and Brady was able to capitalize on them. you got to give him credit. He didn't play a great game, but he did what he needed to do. He did enough. And honestly, doing that at 43 years old is remarkable enough in itself. And uh, he's just adding on to his legacy. I mean, he took – he's taking a, what, seven-win team from last year, I believe, to mm-hmm. the NFC Championship. Um, obviously, he's had help. He has a good supporting cast, a good defense. But he is the leader of this football team. And he's he's doing he's playing good football. He's doing a good job. Um, and, yeah, I, I liked a lot what I saw from the Bucks. Their run game was good, not great. Um, their receiving core is a little questionable right now because Mike Evans got locked up by Lattimore. Godwin has been playing poorly this postseason. And uh, you have a little inconsistency from Antonio Brown. But their defense uh, was explosive. It They have playmakers. Um, Carlton Davis and uh, Dean in the secondary both had great games. They've been looking really good. And this is a very interesting matchup heading into Green Bay. Yeah, it's it surprises me a lot that the Bucks have ran the ball as much as they have in the uh, in the postseason. We saw Brady, I mean, throwing in some games throwing fifty passes in the regular season, and now he's down to a manageable like thirty or thirty-five or something around that area, and they're running the ball a lot more, uh, which is good. And I think if they can continue to do that, especially against Green Bay, who has struggled against the run. Um, I think it'll be big. So uh, for the Bucks, hell of a game. Um, I wish Scotty Miller would have gotten more than that one catch, but it was a pretty good catch. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, hell of a hell of a career for Drew Brees. Uh, it will only be a matter of time before he becomes a uh, offensive coordinator or a head coach somewhere. Um, he is. He's going to be very good and legit. And yeah. He's already locked into that broadcasting deal too. So we'll get to see him soon. That's enough. true. That's true. And, um, I, for, I almost forgot to mention, thank goodness I didn't forget to mention this, but uh, I better not be hearing Michael Thomas's name in the top wide receiver conversation because top wide receivers uh, make at least one catch in a uh, big playoff game. So I would prefer that we not bring up Slant Boy in the. Uh, the top wide receiver conversations. I think that belongs to the big boys like Hopkins and Diggs. So, yeah, Slant Boy, Slant Boy, not a great performance. And then also, uh, one other thing, why didn't we see more Jameis Winston? I, I he honestly, was explosive. Like, he, yeah, he was explosive. He had, he's the only quarterback in this game that could really throw down the field. Um, it's so, it'd be so weird though, like. Knowing it could be Breeze's last game, like him getting benched, like that would be as it was already a bad enough way to go out. That would have been a terrible way to go out getting benched. Well, Marino got benched in his last game. That's true. Well, they lost by like fifty points, so I feel like I that's think it was I think it was more than fifty. Yeah, <laughs> but getting um, benched by a guy like James Winston would be uh, that would be a very bad way to go out. 
Well, if you look at Breeze's last three playoff games, you obviously had this one where he didn't play good. Against the Bears, he didn't really do anything special. Um, it was mostly just the Bears. Yeah, he, the Bears shot himself in the foot. And then if you think all the way back to last year when they lost at home to the Vikings, Taysom Hill was also their best quarterback in that game. He ran the ball effectively, and I remember he had that one just random 50-yard bomb uh, that he threw. Uh, yeah, so Breeze has hurt this team more than he's helped this team, I think, in the last couple of years. So I think it's going to be a plus that they're losing him. But the Saints are almost $100 million over the cap, and they got to shed some of that payroll. A lot of it's on their defense. Their defense is legit, and then you have a situation where you're paying both Taysom and Jameis a lot of money. Are they going to keep both, or are they going to keep one? We'll uh, we'll see. Hey, have- one more one more thing on the Saints, real quick too, that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I think for sure next year they need to find a way to get uh returner slash receiver Deontay Harris a lot more involved. We saw he had some really explosive plays on offense against the Bears. He had the couple returns early yesterday before getting hurt. And then also he was the recipient of that uh, random Taysom Hill bomb that you brought up last year, Donovan. So I feel like a guy with that type of speed, um, I know obviously it's hard to use him in that way if your quarterback can't throw more than 15 yards on the field. But going into next year in um, a season that may be a losing one for them, they should at least attempt to get Deontay Harris the ball because that dude is fast and very, very elusive. Yeah, you're right. They have a lot of big decisions to make this offseason. This is not going to be a fun offseason for Saints fans. Um, It's kind of sad to see their Super Bowl window close now um, and them not even reaching a Super Bowl after, you know, they got robbed against the Rams years back. Um, You know, Saints fans are interesting, but I've always kind of felt bad for them and the organization. Um, because of that miss no call in the NFC Championship years back. Uh, I don't. Not after Bounty Gate. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you're right. The with the Bucks. I mean, Tom Brady. This is what he's wanted when he came. When he decided to come to the NFC, he chased. He's been chasing matchups like this against Drew Brees, against Aaron Rodgers. He wants to compete against the big dogs in the NFC. Some of the guys that he doesn't get to face too often. Uh, you know he's been waiting for this matchup with Aaron Rodgers for quite some time now. Um, and if he were to take down Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs, that would be another huge uh, booster to his legacy. So I think this is what he's been chasing. This is what he's wanted all year. And he's finally going to get a chance at it at Lambeau, the frozen tundra. All right, I think that's going to wrap up the uh, our recaps of the divisional round. Let's get into our final segment. This week in sports, um, this we just re- recap basically from the space in between our last couple episodes, what happened in sports. Uh, Colin, what happened this week in basketball? This week in basketball. So the big news uh, was James Harden is a net. Um, he played his first game. As a net, uh, I believe Saturday against Orlando, um, he posted the, his first triple-double of the season. He looked pretty good, and he seemed to have an instant connection with Kevin Durant, who scored 42 points in a win. Katie's now averaging over 30 a game this year. He looks awesome. Uh, and Harding looked like his normal self. Um, they, The Nets played against the Bucks tonight. It was uh, a big test. It was on TNT. It was one of the – MLK primetime games today. Uh, the Nets shot 54% in this game and 48 from three. Uh, but it was a close game because the they had 17 turnovers to the Bucks five. The Nets escaped with a two-point win. Middleton missed a three at the buzzer. It was a good – it was a tough shot. It went in and out. KD hit a big three the following possession. It's kind of one of those, like – Who's going to take the final shot when you have KD and Harden now? Harden took the first shot. They got the offensive rebound, got it to KD. He hit the three. Big shot. So that was a very entertaining game. Glad I got to watch that. Um, despite the loss, so the Bucks are first in the East still, and uh, their big three is playing very well together. Their offense has been clicking all year. 
Uh, they just have some problems, some little issues to fix on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, this past weekend, LeBron led the Lakers over Zion and the Pelicans to improve to 11 and three, which is the best record in the NBA. The Lakers, the defending champions, are fifth in offensive efficiency and first in defensive efficiency to start this season. They're also top five in three-point percentage compared to 21st last season. So they've definitely improved on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, despite Nikola Jokic's 35-14-9, Denver fell to Utah this weekend and fell to 6-7 and seven on the season. Uh, Jokic is leading the league in player efficiency rating. And if Denver is to improve that record, he is my uh, early pick for MVP, assuming Denver is to get it all together. Um, and uh, looking at college well, hold basketball. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One second. Um, who was the guy that said take plus 250 for Jokic to win the MVP at the oh, beginning yeah. of the year? It was you. This it's guy has got two thumbs pointing right, right at him. This guy. And I'm I'm sure Too bad our listeners can't see who you're pointing at. Nah, nah. Donovan, Donovan picked Jokic MVP beginning of the season. We're still very early. I think Ben can uh can test. I think he can yep. agree with us. He plays fantasy basketball, and I'm sure he sees how many points Jokic is putting up. I would have loved to draft him for my team, but I did not have an early enough pick. Thankfully, though, Kevin Durant and his 30 points per game fell into my lap, so a good – a good uh, takeaway yeah. from that first round. Yeah, I'm assuming Jokic is the leading scorer in fantasy basketball. Yes. I don't get how the scoring works, but he has been killing it. And mm-hmm. um, it was very tough when I played against him, the guy who had him on his team two weeks ago. He's playing so well that his numbers are being compared to Oscar Robertson's for uh, the first like a few years in their career, which is very big, especially for a center like him, putting up the numbers that he is, it's pretty outstanding, and it's not something we typically see in this league. Uh, but I want to turn to college basketball real quick, just cover that real quick. Minnesota handed undefeated Michigan their first loss of the season this past week, winning 75-57. Uh, I think that just proves that you can't take any Big Ten game lightly, especially on the road. No matter who you're playing, it's never going to be easy. Uh, best conference in America, it looks like right now. The Big 12 is also off to a really good start. Baylor played Kansas tonight, actually. Number two, Baylor, number nine, Kansas. And Baylor pretty much dominated the whole game. Jared Butler, their best player, dropped 30 points. And they, Baylor could be the best team in basketball. They play very good defense and very good on the offensive side of the ball. All-time bad beat in that game, too. I don't know if you saw I was going to say, I was going to say, if everyone listening, check out the last shot of the Baylor-Kansas game. Kansas put – it was a minus eight and a half, and I believe – Plus eight and a half. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. yeah, for Kansas, plus eight and a half. Uh, and they hit a three at the buzzer to cover. It was like a – it was near more near half court, and it was some white guy. I'm assuming he's a backup bench warmer came in and broke the hearts of many uh, sports betters out there. Uh, but, yeah, big win for Baylor. They're number two in the country right now. They're right there, in my opinion, with Gonzaga for best team in the best team in the country. Uh, and the last point I wanted to make, the new AP poll came out this morning. Uh, Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina are all absent from the poll. First time this has happened since 1961. We're seeing a trend this season of the more experienced teams um, that we saw were good last year. The more the teams with more depth, more experience are at the top of the poll right now. You see that with Baylor. You see that with Iowa. You see that with Gonzaga, um, Tennessee. A lot of these teams, Wisconsin. And I think part of that has to do with COVID and these teams with all new players aren't able to, um, they didn't have enough time to get together as a group compared to these other teams who have been playing together. So I think that's a big takeaway is a lot of these blue bloods aren't at top. All right. Uh, Thank you for this week's in basketball. Uh, Ben, let's hear what happened this week in El Baseball. 
Alrighty, so obviously no games yet. We're still about a month and a half, or I guess a little over a month away from spring training, hopefully beginning, um, if COVID isn't a factor. So I just want to go over some deals that are reached in the past couple of days. Um, late last week, Yankees had a big day. They got uh, DJ LeMahieu, who has been unbelievable for them ever since he signed out of Colorado. So he's big. Utility guy can play a couple different spots. So that's huge for them, filling up holes in their offense. Um, I know people after signing him were saying like, this Yankees offense is scary. It's the same offense they've had for the last three years and failed to make two a World Series with. So as good of a player LeMahieu is, we'll just see if he is enough to help carry them to a World Series because they have not made one in over a decade. And then that same day, Yankees also taking a flyer on Corey Kluber, who um, if this was a signing two years ago, it will be one of the biggest signings in MLB, but now suffered through injuries in his last year in Cleveland. And then in his first inning as a Texas Ranger last year, got hurt again. So very little innings on his arm in the last few years. Actually pitched a tryout in front of Major League Scouts. There were a bunch of teams in that tryout. That was a couple of days prior to the signing. Apparently looked really good, had some really good stuff. So we'll see how he does in New York. We've seen plenty of good pitchers go to New York and struggle. Um, I know the Yankees have a big thing. There's a couple of pitchers like Sonny Gray who have said um, that they wanted him to use a certain pitch too much or not want him to use it all. And uh, also the short portion right field has kind of affected some, some pitches that have went to New York. So we'll see how Kluber fares there. And then for some other deals, this one is not way big, like headliner, great player deal, but the Padres who apparently want to run out a 20 man starting rotation next year, traded for Joe Musgrove from Pittsburgh, who is not your, Typical Cy Young winner, but he's a great middle to back rotation guy. He's under control, and especially for a team like them, who's going to be without uh, Clevenger, who's having Tommy John surgery, great piece for this year and then potentially the future, depending on what they do there. So he was acquired in that deal. And then it was actually three team deals so like Joey Lucchesi went to the Mets, and then there were prospects that went to Pittsburgh. So obviously, Pittsburgh's at the bottom of the division. No need to hang on to a commodity like Joe Musgrove. So Ship them off to a team like San Diego, who will, will buy every single pitcher on the market. Um, some smaller signings that just took place. John Lester to the Nationals. So uh, Nationals are now the Cubs lights. Have Stalin Castro, Lester Schwarber, and then former uh, coach Davey Martinez. So any Cubs fans who are sad about the Cubs potentially entering a rebuild. I just want to say this. I yeah. just want to say this. It'll be a goddamn travesty if – uh, number 34 isn't hanging from the flat or hanging from the I was going to say rafter, rafters but they're not indoor so hanging from the flat foul pole uh, one day they need to retire his number greatest signing in Cubs baseball history without a doubt do you think Lester will go potentially like jersey number retire something like that do you think he'll be go down more as a Cub or as a Red Sox like what's your take on that my guess is probably Red Sox just because um, he won two World Series there. And obviously, I mean, he pitched in his prime there. Um, but he had very similar numbers in Chicago. Um, we knew it for a fact he loved playing in Chicago. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if one day, because I think John Lester would be a Hall of Famer, um, if he goes into – uh, the Hall of Fame with a Cubs hat on or with a Red Sox hat on. I think it'll be a Boston hat, but I think – I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Cubs hat. All righty, and then a few more things to go over with uh, baseball. Obviously, we know how slow free agency moved. There's plenty of guys still out there unsigned. Uh, Real Muto hasn't reached a deal. There's potentially him going back to Philly, which I could see, but no deal there yet. Um other guys like Trevor Bauer obviously still doesn't have a deal. Marcus Simeon, DJ Gregorius, those two in the shortstop market. So plenty of guys out there. I mean, even Nelson Cruz that haven't signed and we're just over a month until potentially spring training starts. So really just attest to how slow this whole thing moves. And I'm sure at least hopefully we'll see a bunch of move all come at one time here um, end of this month, early next month. But uh, just compare like football, free agency starts in March and all the big guys are signed that week, first week of March. And um, training camp doesn't even start until late July, early August. And then here we are in baseball a month away from spring training. And there's some of the biggest stars still have not signed. So that's definitely something to look forward to because uh, although we've had some guys sign, there's still plenty left on the hot stove. And then last thing I wanted to say, um, 
it kind of got some headlines. Jeff Passan and uh, uh, John Heyman shot it down. There were rumors about the Yankees wanting to go after Luis Castillo, young potential star pitcher under team control till 2024. Thankfully, uh, my Cincinnati Reds used their brains and asked for the world in return. Yankees didn't want to give it up. So those rumors are dead. I'm very glad to see that the Reds didn't just ship them off to New York for just uh, random prospects in return. They asked for Glaber. Yankees said no, figured. So that rumor is dead. And Luis Castillo, potential opening day starter for the Reds, will not be on the move. All right. Thank you, Ben, for this week in baseball. Uh, let's wrap it up with this week in football. Uh, not a whole lot besides the obvious playoff games. But uh, in college football, we saw Justin Fields finally declare for the draft. I think he was like the final player on the final day to uh, declare. But we all expected him to declare, which he did. Um, a couple of the coaches' signings. I know we brought it up last week, but I'm just going to reiterate. Um, Robert Sala signed with the Jets. Arthur Smith signed with the Falcons. You have um, – oh, who just signed with the Chargers? What's his name? The, he was the Rams, D.C. Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, yeah. Dable, Dable, Brian Dable, the O.C. for the Bills. He was rumored to go there last couple weeks, but um, seeing – After not running the ball for a whole quarter, lost out. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, so the two big ones that are left are the Eagles and the Texans. Those are the finals two, two remain two completely dysfunctional franchises. So if I had to ask you guys this, who do you think are filling those spots? This is really tough because I feel like an obvious choice for uh, Houston would be Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City, yeah. but I feel like them hiring him now after Watson wanted him and then they didn't initial initially interview him, like I. I would feel bad because I feel like they would hire him just to try and get Watson to stay. Like, I feel like that could look really, really bad for Houston because he's a great coach. He deserves a head coaching gig. But the fact that they didn't interview him interview him initially, I think, tells something. Um, he got uh, head coaching or uh, interview invites from every other team that had a vacancy, except the Texans at first until they got a ton of backlash. So, like, I feel like that would be – they would be a team that would want the enemy – but I feel like now at this point, it could just end up looking really bad. And then another thing, this was also brought up um, by Peter Schrager today. I talked about Gerard Mayo. There was also a potential rumor about uh, Josh McDaniels in Philadelphia. So we've seen that guy turn down head coaching jobs for years, most famously the Colts one, which I think Colts fans are very thankful that he did and they got Frank Reich instead. So potentially Josh McDaniels in Philly um, – both organizations are kind of a mess, so I can see why they're the last two available. I know I already said dysfunctional franchises, but uh, Houston has no draft capital and an unhappy quarterback, and Philly has zero cap space and potentially a diva in Carson Wentz if reports are true that he is not like being coached. So it, it's really not places I want to go as a head coach. But uh, we'll see. I was I was the person that said Kevin, Kevin Stefanski shouldn't want to go to Cleveland and I was 1,000% wrong on that. So maybe someone will go there and turn it around in year one. That's definitely different, though, because we said yeah. – we, we were saying – I, I kind of agreed with you on that one, that there were more desirable spots than Cleveland last year. But that was more of like they're historically dysfunctional. Oh, yeah. Although ha they did have so much talent, it was just like can – is this guy good enough to put all the talent together? It was uh, just like, that's where coaches go to die more. Yeah. And it was also like coming from. Yeah. And it was like, we don't know exactly what we have in Baker Mayfield yet. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a different situation. Um, Houston is a complete mess right now. It's probably, it's gotta be the most undesirable spot as, as a head coach right now with Watson potentially wanting out and them not having first round picks because they traded them. And it's just a whole mess right now. Um, and you're right. Philly is also not the most desirable spot right now uh, with their mess with Carson Wentz. Uh, they do have Jalen Hurts, but 
there's a lot of holes on that roster as well, winning four games last year. Yeah. So my predictions for who's going to go where for Houston, I think it's smart to hire Bianami or even Dable, um, two good offensive coordinators um, that will help Watson develop if he stays in Houston, which we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I think it'd be smart, but I've heard a lot of rumors that they're going to sign Leslie Frazier, the DC for the bills. So if I had to guess, I'm putting my money on Frazier to the Texans. And then for Philly, I think the perfect guy to, uh, to deal with all the chaos that's going on in that organization is a Belichick guy. I think McDaniels is going to leave New England and go take the job in Philly. I really hope, um, obviously, former Minnesota Viking coach, I really like Leslie Frazier. I just don't want him, like, he when he became the coach in Minnesota, he was stuck with Christian Ponder. It wasn't a good roster, and then he was kind of out after year two. I really hope, like, I want him to get a head coaching job, but I don't want him to go to Houston and suck for a bunch of years and get fired again. Like, I want him to stay as a, a good coach. Like, I like him too much as a coach. For, for me to want him to just go to Houston and unless a dramatic turnaround happen, he's gonna they're gonna that organization is gonna fail for the next couple years at least. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in a situation like those two, um, it'd be tough to hire one of those younger head coaches. Um, because there are a lot, we're seeing a lot of new successful like head coaches in the 30. We saw Sean McVay. Um, but there's like, ah, it's tough. I feel like I would want someone, especially with Philly, a little more experienced who can deal with that, who has proven themselves to be, um, I mean, like Leslie, Leslie Frazier, I could even see in a situation like Philly, I could see him handling a situation like that better than some of these other candidates. So it's, it's a lot to think about. Do you go for someone more? experience someone you can maybe trust a little more or do you go with one of these young more fiery younger brains it's a tough decision I would for sure like to see if if he were to get a job I would prefer Leslie Frazier go to Philly over Houston because I think um there's at least some more pieces in place and they have more draft capital but uh the uh, whole head coaching thing like a young coach, I feel like, for Philly would be if they were hiring the time when they hired Doug Peterson. Like, young roster, young quarterback, stuff like that. Like, I feel like this, the where the roster is now, probably isn't the best fit for a young head coach. So, I, I completely agree with you on that front. All right. And then, finally, we've heard it for a couple of weeks now. Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston. Even former Houston players like Andre Johnson, D-Hop, and Arian Foster have all been on Twitter saying, basically saying, get the fuck out of Houston. Um, so we're, as of right now, I know it's early and in the offseason, where do you think Deshaun Watson will be playing week one next year? I'm looking at teams like – I'm looking more at contenders like the 49ers – the Bears, maybe even Carolina to say, okay, look, or even the Colts, actually. I think the Colts are another good one where you're saying, look, we have a lot of pieces right now. We have our head coach in place. Um, we, have a, we have a good defense. We have pieces on offense. We're really just missing that dynamic quarterback. Like the Colts with Phillip Rivers, I think if they had, like I've been saying, if they had Andrew Luck this year, they could have competed for a Super Bowl. And, you know, like a team like the 49ers, if they had a more dynamic quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo last season, I definitely think they could have won that Super Bowl. So I think a team like that should be very willing to say, take my first round picks for the next two or three years, because is Watson not worth that? I mean, he is still very young. He's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league coming off maybe his best season. Um, he has playoff experience already. 
So I'm saying, look, I don't need these first round picks the next few years. I'm throwing him for Deshaun Watson because this is my quarterback for the future and he can win me a Super Bowl right now. So if I'm San Francisco, if I'm Chicago, if I'm Indianapolis, I'm throwing all my picks out the window. I'm going all in for Deshaun Watson um, because he is that difference maker. So if I've been saying uh, for a little bit now, if I had, I think my favorite place I would see him in is San Francisco. I think they have a lot of good pieces. I want to see him and Kittle thrive together. Um, I like that a lot. I, I'm going to go – I'm going to roll with San Francisco. I would love to see him and Kyle Shanahan work together. I think for me, in a potential Deshaun Watson trade, the team who could potentially give up the most in return and make it most appealing for Houston is the New York Jets because they have the capital from the Jamal Adams trade. They have the number two pick in the draft, which could potentially be used to draft a Deshaun Watson replacement. But as we know, Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause. And do we really think he would uh, accept a trade to New York in that not very talented roster? I don't think so. So Houston, sadly, probably won't get potentially the best offer because I think if New York knew they could get Deshaun Watson, they would offer that that number two pick and more. But uh, I think another one we could totally see, and I know this has been talked about, is, uh, is Miami – if those two rumors are actually true, if they really don't think that two is their guy, they have, they obviously have the pick from Houston. They have picks. Um, we could see them maybe trade two in that deal, stuff like that. Like they could potentially make that move as well. I know that would be a franchise altering move. Are you really going to give up on two of that quickly? But uh, if you want something a little bit uh, crazier, not one of the, like the big market teams, like Miami would be wild. But at the same time, if they give up their draft capital for Deshaun Watson, I don't know if they're going to be able to get a receiver because I think they need one of those. So um, if, if I had to look at it, the best offer that Houston could probably get would probably be from the New York Jets. But I don't think Deshaun would want to go there. So, Yeah, my, my opinion on the whole Deshaun situation is that you're going to have to give up a haul, as Colin mentioned, you're going to have to give up two, three, maybe four first-round picks, and then maybe a player. Um, Like Ben was saying, I think a very obvious option uh, for him to go would be Miami because Miami would give them their first-round picks back from the Tunsil trade. They would probably give them Tua um, for Deshaun. I think that makes sense. Um, Like you said, the Jets. I think personally – the best fit for Deshaun out of all the teams that could be possibly looking for a quarterback, I think it's Pittsburgh. They have a lot of receivers, and we saw they don't really like to run the ball, and Deshaun obviously loves to throw the ball. He led the league in passing yards. Uh, I think he'd be a great fit in that offense, assuming they get a new offensive coordinator. Um, But I think he'd be best fitted in Pittsburgh, but However, if I'm going to put my money on where Deshaun Watson will be playing week one, I know it's not the sexiest pick, but I'm, I'm going out on a limb, and I am saying this right here. Deshaun Watson will be wearing a Houston Texans jersey week one next year. I feel I, like – I wouldn't be shocked. I, I think yeah. that there is a lot of teams in the market for a quarterback. Um teams that were in the playoffs this year a handful of teams are looking for quarterbacks and I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks on the move and if your team like Pittsburgh Indy Chicago yeah you want Deshaun but you don't want to give up three or four first round picks you could probably give up two first round picks and get a guy like Matthew Stafford you probably give up less and get a guy like Carson Wentz or Garoppolo or even take a chance and draft a guy like uh, McCorkle Jones, um, Kyle Trask, Zach Wilson. Um, so I think the asking price is going to be too high, and I don't think anyone's going to fight. So I think Deshaun is stuck in Houston after he signed that big extension this offseason. Well, if your team, like, I'm going to throw out Chicago because, like, we got a lot of Bears fans here. So if I throw out Chicago, if you're, if you're the Bears – you haven't had success with quarterbacks for a long time. So you're, you might be saying the organization might be saying, Hey, rather than 
drafting another quarterback or signing some like, you know, a, a solid veteran or maybe even a Matthew Stafford, you could be saying we can get a top five quarterback in the league, maybe top three quarterback in the league right now. And we can lock him up, you know, like it's, it's so difficult. You can ask Raiders fans, you can ask Browns fans. It's so difficult to get a good solid starting quarterback in this league for a long time to get a good franchise quarterback. And Deshaun Watson is so much more than that. Um, I mean, every team wants what the Buffalo Bills have, what the Ravens have, what the Chiefs have. They want that dynamic guy who's going to take over the league for the next 15 years. And Watson's one of those guys. So I could definitely see a team like the Chicago Bears who haven't had that much success at quarterback lately uh, just throw their picks at him. Um, But you're right. I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him in the Texans jersey next year. It's not too often we see situations like this happen where players threaten to leave because they're unhappy unless things change. It's not like the NBA, um, not quite like the NBA with the player movement. So you're right, I wouldn't be shocked. But I did want to mention one more team that I think would be a good fit. Um, this wouldn't put them over the top yet because they have a lot of holes to fix on defense. But Carolina would actually be a good fit for Watson, I believe. They have a lot of weapons on offense. Um, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Curtis Samuel, he would have a lot to work with. Um, and then, you know, if the only problem with that, if you're Carolina, it's like, okay, we're loaded on offense. We have no defense. And now we don't have these draft picks to spend on defense. So it's, it's a tough situation, but I could see a team like that who I haven't, I haven't seen their name thrown around too much, but I could see a team like that be interested as well. All right. And I think this is going to wrap up our episode of Tub Talks. Uh, I want to thank you all for watching, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.